episode of Who's That? I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Who's That is a new spin-off show to the Who's Who podcast where I, Shag, or if our lawyers can hash things out, both of us will focus on a character we first quote-unquote discovered via their Who's Who listing. We'll look at their history in the DCU and whether their appearance in Who's Who did the job or if there's more to explore. And who better to join me to talk about a character called the Crime Doctor than the Fire and Water Network's very own in-house physician, Dr. Ange. Hi, Ange. Hey, thank you so much uh, for inviting me. This guy is part of my youth in reading comics, and revisiting him has been fascinating uh, where I am in life now. So the, I have a lot to say. Very good. Yeah, this is. I thought this was just just too perfect a matchup to to have Ange on to talk about the crime doctor. And I will say uh, before we before we get to it, like there's a lot more here than I ever expected from just the Who's Who list. I'm going to get. We'll get to all that. But in the meantime, uh, we need to thank our sponsor, InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Ange, what do you got? I have the Marvel Comics trade paperback for Mystery Men, written by David Liss with art by Patrick Zercher, which is really sort of a pulp fiction take on the Marvel Universe, sort of set in like the 30s. A group of wealthy elite is turning the suffering of the Great Depression into soaring profits with an even greater evil planned behind, and a masked man known as the Operative becomes sort of a Robin Hood. But the reason I picked this is there is a character called the Surgeon, who is sort of the (laughs) crime doctor meets... Dark Man meets Rorschach, uh, if you can imagine such a a diabolical combo. And well worth it, and I'll say, um, in particular, the art by Patrick Zercher is really spot-on wonderful for the period. I don't think I've ever even heard of this series. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's really kind of cool. There's sort of like a Rocketeer analog. There's this Doctor type. There's sort of like a Shadow analog. There's a a Magic uh, character in it. And the thing that I love the most, if you ever go to Patrick Zercher's Twitter, is that he talks about how he would never do a sequel because he had to do so much research on the 30s that it became this overwhelming task to keep it sort of um, spot-on appropriate in terms of his art, um, that he said it wouldn't be worth it to revisit that time again. That sounds really interesting. Cool. Well, we'll have that link in the show notes. Uh, My pick is a little more obvious. I did Batman The Dark Knight Detective Volume 1. This is by Mike W. Barr, Alan Davis, and many others. This collects Detective Comics numbers 568 through 574, which, of course, were the comics that 
Ryan and Chris have been talking about over on Nightcast, which are some of my favorite Batman stories. But they also reprint Detective Comics numbers 579 through 582. And 579 features an appearance by The Crime Doctor. I just could not pass that up. The cover is by Alan Davis. It's one of the covers from, from their run of Batman and Catwoman and the Joker. The normal price is $29.99. In stock trades price is $16.49. That is 45% off. So like I said, if you want to read a little Crime Doctor, get it in this book, plus all these other great stories by Mike W. Barr and Alan Davis. So for these and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com. We thank them for their support, and we always want to mention, if you do buy stuff from InStockTrades.com, please send them an email and let them know that you are buying stuff thanks to them running an ad on the Fire and Water Network. We really appreciate their sponsorship, and we thank everybody who buys stuff from InStockTrades.com. Sorry, just a little after the fact, Rob. I just want to say the original price of that trade pack Paperback that I said was fourteen ninety nine, and it's only uh, eight sixty nine for a saving of forty two percent. I really should talk up uh, in stock trades great prices, given all the work they do. So sorry to tack that on at the end. No, that's right. I completely forgot that you, <laughs> you did mention the price. Yeah, that was, that's good. We'll see. We'll have the links in the show notes to those two books. Those sound uh, that sounds really interesting. And everybody knows how much uh, we all love the Mike W. Barr, Alan Davis, Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogel Batman. That's all just amazing stuff. So uh, anyway, like I said, we're here to talk about the Crime Doctor. Now, this was a character that I first discovered in the pages of Who's Who, which is, again, the whole point of the show is who's that. This was a character that I was unfamiliar with. The listing is drawn by Dennis Cowan, and it mentions his first appearance as Detective Comics number 494. Well, that isn't exactly right. There is, in fact, a golden age Crime Doctor, and I didn't know that until I did research for this episode. He first appeared... In Detective Comics number 77, which is dated July 1943, and then he made a follow-up appearance the very next month in Batman number 18, August 1943. It's the creation of, of course, Bob Kane and Bill Finger. And he's basically just a doctor who is bored. That's the whole shtick, is that he wants a thrill because uh, being a doctor is no longer exciting to him anymore. So he becomes this crime doctor. That's really the whole, the whole gist of it. And in the first story... Uh, we see, you know, he has this criminal mob, and then he gets arrested. So in, in Batman number 18, it opens up in a prison ward, and he escapes prison and once again starts the crime clinic. And uh, he doesn't make it out uh, in the story. He gets shot in the back by one of his uh, one of his henchmen, and he dies. And that's basically it for the uh, the crime doctor in the Golden Age version. But it fe- does feature, this Batman number 18 features a great line, where Batman talks to the crime doctor, and he says, he compares him to the Joker and to Two-Face, and he says, you're the strangest villain I've ever faced. Which is, like, not really Batman. I mean, like, comparing him to Two-Face and the Scarecrow of the Joker, he's not that strange. But, yeah, so he, he is a Golden Age character. They make no mention of this in the Who's Who listing. Uh, so if you didn't know, and I didn't know, you would th- that he would think that he first appeared in, in a, he was a Bronze Age character, but of course he's not. No, Michael Fleischer and Don Newton were the writer and artist for these uh, appearances. Yeah, they get creator credit because they took, you know, they took the basic concept and redid their own version. But nevertheless, he is a Golden Age character. Yeah, and there are parts of um, the later story that we talk about, that Bronze Age story, that are almost direct um, homages or riffs on those early stories that you gave. Certainly certain attacks that the crime doctor did to Batman are lifted right from those early stories. There's one little element that I, th- I wanted to ask you about, Angie, in, in the first two stories, the Golden Age stories, is every shot they have of the crime doctor when he's performing surgery, it's drawn very mysterioso. 
Like it's all the lights are off and it's just all these sort of, um, you know, figures in white huddled over this patient. And it looks very mysterious. And I have to wonder, is that just because they were doing sort of these crime stories? Or is it because like still in the 1940s, like surgery was still kind of like a little mysterious, right? I mean, the average person didn't have a, any real direct experience with with surgery. It wasn't like there were doctor TV shows to watch, but we're all familiar with it. It was still kind of a weird, a little bit of a weird thing. Am I wrong about that? No, I think you're probably right. You know, you think about those, uh, anytime you see sort of uh, medicine done in those times, they talk about the operating theater, right? There were people right, that the actually theater. Right, right, watched right. Yeah. these surgeries that were sort of up in like the, you know, the, the nosebleed seats looking over. But if you weren't <laughs> a medical student sort of doing that, you probably had no idea what was going on. And so you were reliant upon movies and those things were often, as you say, portrayed like this, where it's just people huddled over a body and you kind of don't know what's going on. But there is a lot of black in those panels. You really don't even get much sense of exactly what they're even doing. It truly is sort of um, almost like a film noir take on uh, on that procedure. Yeah, I was really struck by that, of how you said it, it's, it is very film noir. So uh, it said the crime doctor, you know, fits in quite well with all these, you know, characters from the from the 40s and stuff like that. He, he's He's, he's, he's of a piece, even though he doesn't have a, a gimmick or particularly he – he doesn't have a costume or anything like that. He's just kind of more of a straightforward character. And obviously, uh, Bob Kane and Bill Finger didn't think he was worth returning because he's killed off after a second story and he never came back. And then it wasn't until the 70s in this detective comic story that uh, Michael Fleischer and Don Newton brings it back. So anyway, that brings us up to the present – or the – no, the present <laughs> – the Bronze Age of Detective Comics. 494, and uh, so part one is the underworld of Gotham City starts working with a man only known as the crime doctor, who uses his knowledge to help thugs succeed on their crime. The modus operandi is effective, and the authorities in Gotham are baffled. Batman starts investigating the case, and after following a couple of thugs, a confrontation ensues where Batman is injured in the arm, but he becomes aware of the presence of the crime doctor. Alfred makes his best effort to cleanse Batman's wound, but he insists on having him examined by a professional. The next day, Bruce Wayne arranges an appointment with Dr. Bradford Thorne, and the physician puts a special bandage on the wound. Bruce then invites Thorne at his private party at the Wayne Foundation, where they're both called to their respective duties. Thorne is paged through his clock, and Batman is summoned with the bat signal. The crime takes place in a special laboratory facility where a group of criminals are planning to steal a chemical compound, and they summon the crime doctor to assist them with the security guards. Batman arrives and tries to stop the thugs, but he is stunned by the crime doctor's flashlight, allowing him to spot the same special bandage that he used on Bruce Wayne. The crime doctor and Batman are trapped inside the laboratory as it blows up. And that is the cliffhanger ending of the first story. So was this was this the one that you had? Part, you said it was part one or part two that you had? No, it was part two that I had. So this was really okay. the first time that I was reading uh, this particular story. What do you think of it? Um, I really love this character. It's just crazy because he's a villain. But I will tell you that, you know, there are many fields in medicine, some more stressful than others, and people that enjoy adrenaline or, you know, like to rush into the unknown, um, those uh, sort of folks are drawn to fields that are much more fast-paced and stressful and have that sort of adrenaline rush, like, I'll say, emergency medicine. And so hearing this doctor say he's bored and he really likes the rush he feels from crime was sort of fascinating because you could say he's already a surgeon. He's already in the most stressful, adrenaline-drenched sort of uh, field that there could be, right? You know, somebody comes in and needs surgery, life-saving surgery. If you're not getting enough of a rush from that, I'm not surprised that you turn to crime. 
But <laughs> right. But then he has this strong set of ethics. So he says any money that he gets from the crimes that he helps, he then donates to medical charities. Right. So he's you know, he's he's doesn't do it for the money. He's already rich enough as the doctor. And he kind of has this sort of, I call it like, you know, it's not a bat cave, it's like a dock cave, right? So, you know, he right, has right. Right, a secret entrance that his ambulance goes through underneath his penthouse where he has like a medical facility and, a, you know, a big computer where he can like plan his crime. So he's kind of like the other, you know, side of Batman. And then he really relies on you know, the ethics of medicine where, you know, there's a security guard that gets knocked out that he examines, right? I'm not here to kill people. I'm here for crimes to be successful. This guy's got high blood pressure. He should really see his physician, right? So, you know, writes a prescription. You should see your physician and get that checked out. And even some of the things that he um, says are true today, like he says at one point, you know, preventive medicine and early diagnosis are always less expensive in the long run than emergency care. Any good physician will tell you that. That's like the whole idea behind the affordable Affordable Care Act and, right, you know, right. and Bill Clinton saying we need more primary care providers in this country and less specialists because those are the people that are going to sort of be the gatekeepers. Um, and even some of the medicine that he provides, you know, Batman gets the shoulder wound. It's from a puncture wound from um, like a hook they use on the docks. And he says, you know, we're, we're not going to stitch that up. We have to leave it open so that, you know, if it needs to drain, it will. But, you know, here's some medicine to sort of make sure that it doesn't get infected. All of which is true, which makes me sort of wonder how, like, did Michael Fleischer have somebody that he talked to or was this just, you know, medicine that he picked up on the run? Oh, I wanted to ask you about that, about because the, the whole story hinges on that little that little beat of that it's a special bandage and i of course don't know enough about it to know is that a real thing or is that is that just something that michael fleischer made up but you're telling me that it's actually pretty accurate well you know the the um if it's a laceration a slice you feel more comfortable closing that up if it's a puncture wound you're afraid that if you sew it up um you'll kind of leave a potential space where infection can form and then it won't have any place to go like the pus can't run so a puncture wound you'll leave open but i don't know if there's any sort of special bandage i mean it might just be that he recognized that's a bandage on the shoulder and i recognize the way that i wrap things um so that didn't strike me um in particular as like oh it was that particular bandage that he did that would be recognizable other than maybe he knows his own work that's my hello kitty bandage that i put on bruce wade i <laughs> familiar with that um, yeah. yeah and the, the the artwork in this by don newton i mean don newton had a relatively brief career on batman i mean he had a relatively brief career in comics but man this stuff is is so good i love the splash page it's so moody of batman two-wheeling it through the rain with the bat signal in the, the background you got all the neon signs i mean this really is like a crime story and even though, as you mentioned, the crime doctor has all this accoutrement, he's got a, he's got the crime cave, and the, you know, he's got all this kind of cool stuff. It really is like a detective story, and I, I just love it. I mean, the cover—it's uh, got the disembodied heads, which is always one of my favorite kind of silly motifs. You see Batman, Robin, Batgirl, and Black Lightning, all of whom had features in this book, because this was back when Detective was a dollar book. They're watching the crime doctor about to presumably cut Bruce Wayne open, and they're doing the whole, <gasps> you know. And you've got who is this man? How did he learn Batman is Bruce? Between. What will he do with the knowledge? And you don't see his mustache, but he doesn't really look like the crime doctor you see inside the book. So I wonder if Jim Aparo had any idea of what he was supposed to draw. Or they just mm. said, 
have a guy looming over Bruce Wayne and he's a doctor. That that's good enough. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll go back to Newton. I knew him best from his Captain Marvel work and like the Adventure Dollar comic, right, which of right. course is a very much more fantastic sort of thing. So to see him work in this arena, which you say is much more crime, uh, sort of shows his range. And um, and this is the. Um, the part of the story, like him blinding Batman by reflecting light off that silly forehead mirror that is really antiquated medicine and him <laughs> sort of slashing at Batman with his scalpel, that's ripped straight from those early detective um, stories. So I think like Fleischer must have read them and been intrigued by them. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. It only runs 16 pages, so it moves really quickly, but I think it's, think it's, it's terrific. And it's a really good, and again, it's, it's Batman in kind of a different setting just you know you're not familiar with him like in an operating room it just looks a little different and i have to say the sequence of him fighting the crime doctor in the or uh and they're all in, like the red suits it reminds me of the the lightsaber fight in the last jedi where everything was like super like these sort of very stark reds and whites and stuff like that it's a really nice sequence so uh, i dig it i dig it a lot and again again it's got a great cliffhanger ending with the uh, exploding uh, laboratory. Uh, it moves right on to Detective uh, 495. Again, features another cover by Jim Aparo. This time, the crime doctor is not on it. It shows a different character, Sterling Silversmith, who's going to be worked into this story. And at the bottom, uh, we've got Robin, Batgirl, and Black Lightning smiling. So they're obviously not paying attention to what's going on in this uh, particular cover. Um, so this story opens, the part two opens up with its, um, the title was Murder in Quicksilver, once again by Michael Fleischer drawn by Don Newton, and I didn't mention the, pre, the first installment is inked by Bob Smith and this one is inked by Frank Chiaramonte. Uh, during the confrontation between the crime doctor and Batman, the criminals who have stolen the chemicals trap them in a laboratory and set a bomb to explode. Batman takes the crime doctor out of the place, saving their lives from the blast. Having newfound gratitude for the Batman, the crime doctor chooses to escape, but Batman is unable to locate him. Afterwards, the thugs that escaped the chemicals go to their boss, who is none other than Sterling Silversmith. When they inform him that the crime doctor knows Batman's secret identity, Silversmith goes on a manhunt to find the doctor who has gone into hiding. Batman also gets on the trail of uh, the crime doctor, but the criminals manage to find him first, bringing him to Silversmith's place. Batman is stumped until he finds evidence that connects the robbery to Silversmith, who at that moment is trying to learn Batman's secret identity from Thorne. The crime doctor refuses to give away that information, as it would go against his moral code, and Silversmith uses a strong poison to make him talk. At that moment, Batman breaks into the place, defeating Silversmith and his thugs. When he realizes the critical condition of Thorne, Batman takes him to the hospital to have the poison removed, and after the procedure, the doctors inform him that Thorne will remain in a comatose state with little chance of recovery, and that if it ever comes to happen, his memory would probably never return. With that small comfort, Batman walks away, wondering if the crime doctor ever shared his secret with somebody else. So, uh, that's a hell of an ending for, to this story. I mean, and what did you think of this? Yeah, so I, I guess we'll start at the ending first. So this was the one that I got off the rack. And there's a panel of him in that vegetative state at the end where he's just sort of staring into space in a hospital bed that I can tell you kind of haunt me as a kid and it kind of surprises me because i was one of those guys that like read unexpected and house of mystery and even sort of like you know found some of the fleischer specter stuff at yard sale so like i saw people cut in half by scissors and that sort of stuff <laughs> and it's this panel of him just sort of like staring out into space and he's kind of like grayish they sort of like put him in a little bit of shadow yes, that yes. that i'll say was just really like what does that even mean to live as a vegetable like that and i'll you know i talk about 
parts of my life that made me think like maybe I wanted to go into medicine. One of them, you know, my dad um, was a diabetic. And as a kid, I was like, maybe I can cure diabetes. Another was the television show Emergency, believe it or not, because that kind of seemed pretty cool. And I think it was stuff like this in comics where I saw this and I was like, that is just too strange to me. Like, what does that even mean? That kind of like maybe piqued my interest. I can tell you, um, you know, I purchased these issues or got these issues to review for this show, but I vividly had that panel in my brain. I didn't need to see that panel again. I remembered it from being a kid. Yeah, it's really kind of haunting. As you mentioned, he's in like kind of a shadowy thing, so his skin is all gray, and he's just staring out into nothingness, and it's it's pretty horrifying. Is that the whole bit with the poison? Is that kind of well, accurate? You, you know, it's funny. I mean, because part of it is this, you know, ludicrous villain, Sterling Silversmith, who's all about silver, obviously, right? At one point, he's like, oh, the chemical you, spo- uh, you stole from me, you know, it's worth 100 times its weight in silver as opposed to gold, right? You're like, oh, my God, I get the motif. And he poisons him with, mer- <laughs> right? He poisons him with mercury because mercury is, you know, you know, of course, also called quicksilver. And, uh, you know, it's not as if mercury poisoning is something that we see very frequently, even in the emergency department. So I actually, and this is where I think, like, people must side-eye me in the corridors of the hospital. I, like, cropped the panels of the fact that this was Quicksilver that he drank. And then there's a panel where Silversmith says, you know, if I don't pump your stomach in an hour, you know, you're going to be brain dead. And uh, I sent it to the head toxicologist at the hospital. <laughs> and I was wow. like, is this legit? I was like, is this legit? And they're like, are you serious? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm kind of serious. And they, of course, said, you know, it, um, you know, plain old mercury like you get out of a thermometer, they say, is is much more um, toxic if you inhale it and it gets into your lungs. If you drink it, they're like, it's not that poisonous. But then they were always there were always caveats in medicine. So they were like, well, if it was methyl mercury, which is the you know mercury they use in like factories. You know, I suppose this could be possible. Um, but it sounds like they were kind of, one, scratching their heads like, why is, why is uh, you know, Ange sending me these panels? Uh, and <laughs> secondly, you know, um, that it probably doesn't really work that way in real life. Okay. All right. Good to know. Yeah, I mean, very similar to the way Bob Kane and Bill Finger did. Obviously, Michael Fleischer, who's listed here as guest writer. He was not the, uh, the regular writer. Uh, on on Batman or Detective, uh, didn't see any need to hold on to the crime doctor. You know, they could just get rid of him as a, as in a one-two punch, uh, which is it's kind of funny because you realize, you know, they gave him that setup. You mentioned, again, the crime cave and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you could see him being an ongoing, recurring Batman background villain. And, of course, we'll get to that uh, momentarily. But it's it's sort of funny to me that in both appearances, the writer didn't feel the need to keep him around like well we could just get rid of him i mean obviously leaving someone in 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 the world of superhero comics even killing somebody off isn't permanent let alone leaving them in a vegetative state but still it just uh, you know it, it's it's sort of funny that michael fleischer didn't, didn't you know leave the character for another writer to pick up yeah it, you know for me it's sort of um you know there's the night nurse right which is if you're a superhero and you get injured you visit the night nurse and they can sort of patch you up a little bit so it would it made sense to me that, of course, if you're a super criminal, you probably have a, you know, a super villain doctor that, you know, you can go to when you get injured. And so he wouldn't even need to be 
even have this sort of like, oh, I partake in crimes. He could just be the person that they go to, just like they go to the calculator for information, right? Like he could have mm -hmm. a side business that, yeah, come to me when you're injured. So I do think there's a lot of potential there. And I'm really, again, fascinated by the fact that he has this sort of like strong code of medical ethics, right? Where he says, I learned Batman's secret identity in the doctor-patient relationship, which has privilege, and I'm not going to break that, you know? I, I just can't do that. So he kind of walks both worlds, you know, in, in a very interesting way for me. Another thing I like, and this is more on the, on the visual side, is that I like that Thorne, this character here, he's clearly older. He's an older man. He's got kind of grayish temples. He looks a little like Lionel Adwill or something like that, or kind of Charles Boyer, uh, you know, old-timey actor. Like, he's someone who has been a doctor for a while. I, I joke about, like, shows on the CW where it's like everybody is, like, 25. Yeah. You know, where you, you meet, like, the general, and he's, like, 27, you know, because they don't want to have old people on the CW network. But this guy has, like, lived a life. Like, he's clearly several decades older than Bruce Wayne, and I like that. I like that, you know, there are people of different ages in the DC universe. Yeah, when you see something like the new Flatliners remake and medical students are making these, like, critical medical decisions, it's just, that's not the way things happen. So the right. fact that he has got so much money amassed that he has a penthouse that he can excavate and make this sort of special clinic underground, he really would have had to be in practice for some time. And even his mustache tells me he's like, he's hanging on to a style from the old times, <laughs> even for the 80s, right? You know, or whenever this came out, it's sort of like an old time style. Yeah, a little movie matinee type guy. And Don Newton, once again, does an amazing job. There's uh, after the uh, the lab blows up on page five. There's this great sequence. It's just a little close up of Batman draped in shadow, but his the light that's reflecting on him is I think from the from the flames, and so he's all in oranges and yellows, and it just looks beautiful. I mean, it's a Newton. It, you you mentioned Newton's work on Captain Marvel. I mean, he had great runs on Captain Marvel, on Aquaman, and on Batman. Three, you know, yeah, they're all superheroes, but, but three very different kinds of strips. And yet he handled them all really well, not to mention the work he did on The Phantom uh, for Charlton. So, I mean, he was really masterful, and I love all the, there's these great silhouette shots of Batman. I mean, this thing, I didn't mention the colorist, I tend to leave them out. Um, Adrian Roy, the great Adrienne Roy, is the colorist, and she does... Really nice work here. There's lots of shots of Batman, kind of silhouetted in front of like a like a purple sky, uh, purple skyline or a blue skyline. It really is very very moody. I mean, for for a Batman story, this is of a f pretty decent human scale. Uh, yeah, he's not taking he's not taking on you know Two Face or the Penguin or anything like that. I have to say, for me, the the panels that stuck out from an art point of view in this are at the bottom of page nine. I don't know if you can share that page or not, but it's, you know, Batman is wondering, Thorne could have told anybody his secret identity. So he's driving the Batmobile through Gotham, thinking about how much danger he could be in. And there are these small inset panels behind yes. him that represent him driving through Gotham. And so there's like somebody that looks like they're waiting in line and like a family in front of a shoe store in silhouette. And then, you know, what could be a pimp, but maybe isn't. And so... It's just, it conveys him driving through the city by having these 
inset shots in the background that say, like, he's really been thinking about this as he goes through Gotham in its entirety. And then it ends with him scowling, saying, hey, for all I know, my career is over as Batman, because he could have told anybody. And that one little third of a page was, like, so incredibly... Um, you know, cinematic in the way that it, you know, this is what comics are supposed to do. It's pictures and words that you put together. This isn't a parked car. It's him driving through the city thinking about this. Yeah, Batman's doing a whole taxi driver thing, going through the uh, the Gotham nightlife. It's really, really quite nice. And then there's uh, another page where after he, he's got his, he's looming over one of Silversmith's goons, and he looks kind of demonic there when he picks up the, the antidote for the, uh, the the mercury poisoning. It's really well done. This is a great two two stories, you know, great one-two punch. It's a really, really well done. Michael Fleischer, who unfortunately just passed away earlier this year, uh, I always thought he was a really great writer. I liked his Jonah Hex. I certainly loved his Spectre. He had a lot of great stories, but he had a real like. I have to look up and see what other Batman stories he might have done. But these are these, these are terrific. These are I really like both of these stories. And um, and this is pretty much what they relate in the Who's Who page. This is everything. That this is what you would know of the Crime Doctor uh, from these two stories is if you just knew him from the Who's Who page, which is of course where I knew him from. Yeah, um, and I'll just throw one more thing out there, which you know you and I have talked. Uh, several times about how comics, if they teach you something that you can tell your parents, they might buy you more comics, right? And so one of the clues here is that, you know, Batman comes upon somebody who Sterling Silversmith has killed, who's holding a bottle of AGNO3, which as a kid, I was like, what's AGNO3? But then you learn that's the chemical formula for silver nitrate. And so, you know, you go up to your parents and you're like, do you know that AG is the, you know, chemical uh, periodic table chart for silver? And I learned that from comics. And they're like, maybe we should keep buying them for you. you know? so, <laughs> so it's those small things that sort of really sort of brought me back to my youth, too. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's, 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 it's putting Batman in a real world, which is, which is pretty cool. So, uh, like I said, that was it for this version of the Crime Doctor. Again, in the Who's Who page, you see him. You see the Crime Doctor cutting a slice out of Batman's shoulder. Uh, which exposes the wound, and that's the whole. So you, you get all that from from the listing. Now, um, Crime Doctor did continue on. He apparently is in Crisis on Infinite Earths number nine, which is the villain issue. I went through that issue like five times. I couldn't find him. Uh, I mean, it's George Perez. He probably stuck him in the background. Maybe he's not even like he might just be colored in like a silhouette type type thing or like a mono mono uh, color. So I couldn't, I wasn't able to find it, but apparently according to Mike's amazing world, which is rarely wrong, uh, he's in there somewhere. And that is it for the crime doctor in terms of the pre-crisis uh, appearances. He did not appear anymore, which is, it, it's kind of funny when you think about if he really only made two appearances by DC's measure, I'm surprised he got a listing in who's who. I mean, it didn't seem like he was that important to get a who's who listing, uh, considering he's only had, you know, basically one story. But I'm glad he did, because I like that listing. Yeah, the only thing I can bring up is the mud pack and the fact that they got a page (laughs) despite being in one story. So, um, yeah. that's a little joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you don't. I know you know you like the mud pack. So, but, but I mean, this was not it would, this was not over for the crime doctor because post crisis, uh, he ended up appearing in Detective Comics number five seventy nine, which I mentioned in the Instock Trades ad, written by Mike W. Barr, drawn by Norm Bravehugel, inked by Norm Bravehugel, and we see him on the cover. He's there operating on somebody, and Batman is smashing through the window, and that is his first. Uh, post-crisis experience. He's basically the same character. It features a really great, very cinematic splash page, very movie-like. It, it, 
we lead into the crime doctor via Two-Face because Two-Face goes to see the crime doctor for a special operation uh, while crime doctor's thugs are stealing blood from blood banks. So this this crime doctor is not quite as, uh, I guess, morally upstanding as the other crime doctor. This one's a little more of a criminal who also happens to be a doctor as opposed to the, the, the earlier version. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a fun story. And again, drawn by Norm Brayfogle, you really, really can't beat it. And, but there's no connection to the, this is a completely different version. There's no mention of the other version. So this is a, the post-crisis crime doctor. Now, uh, he did appear later on, many years later, in Birds of Prey. He apparently appeared. I haven't read these comics. I've seen. Um, I've read the first issue. He appears in Birds of Prey numbers ninety-two through ninety-five. It was a four-issue story arc. So he appears uh, there, and he is the same guy. He's Thorn. Uh, they call him that. They seem to know him. So he's. I guess he's that same version. And that would be it uh, for him in this version. And then later on, a brand new version of the Crime Doctor would appear in Manhunter. Number 32, a female. So they had a completely different version of the Crime Doctor show up in that uh, comic. I haven't read that one. I've seen the one page where she shows up at the end. She's a completely different character, no connection. And as far as I know, that has been it in comics for the Crime Doctor. So far, that's the full extent of the Crime Doctor's career is like those handful of comics. You know, I have to say, I actually have those Birds of Prey book. Because I I had sort of the whole Gail Simone run. I completely forgot he was there. It's part of the one year later. So I think Oracle actually isn't even part of the team and Shiva's on the team. Or maybe it's Canary's off and Shiva's on the team in their place. So I'm going to have to dig them out and sort of uh, reread them. Uh, yeah, I probably haven't touched them since they were on the rack. <laughs> so yeah, he makes an, he does make an appearance. Considering what a minor character the Crime Doctor is in, in the annals of Batman villandom, he actually has managed to make it into other media. Uh, he appeared in an episode of Batman the Animated Series from Season 2, Paging the Crime Doctor, written by Martin Pascal, the legendary Martin Pascal, and... Mike W. Barr, there he is again. Hmm. Uh, in this story, he is much less of a villain. He's basically a functionary of, uh, of Rupert Thorne. He's kind of under Rupert Thorne's thumb. And so he doesn't look, uh, he looks, he doesn't really look like any version. He's, he's got a mustache, but he's a lot heavier. He doesn't look like the matinee kind of Charles Boyer guy that the, uh, the one from the 70s looks in. But it's, it's a good it's a good episode. Um, he's sort of like morally conflicted. He's voiced by the character actor Joseph Campanella, who uh, played the lizard on the 90s Spider-Man TV show. He was on Lois and Clark. He was on Superboy. He's in a great TV movie called The President's Plane is Missing. Which is, I love that title. I just can't, I've never seen it, but I love that title. And the thing I knew Joseph Campanella from was uh, there was a show in the 70s and the 80s, a Norman Lear show called One Day at a Time with uh, Bonnie Franklin and Bradley Bertinelli. He played Bonnie Franklin's uh, ex-husband. So he, he would be a recurring guest star on that show. And the reason I remember him even so distinctly is because, and this is such a weird random fact, there's an episode of that show where he says... God damn it. Which on in the seventies you were not allowed to say on television. You were not allowed to say that. You weren't you could say damn it. You couldn't say god damn it. But I guess they made a special dispensation. And there's an episode where he goes, God damn it, Anne. And I remember as a kid being like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> he said a dirty word on television. Um, so the, he's voiced by again Joseph Campanella, who, um, like Michael Fleischer, just recently passed away, actually just a couple of weeks ago, while I was preparing this episode. I saw that he, uh, Joseph Campanella, passed away at like age 92. So he had a, a great long career. Uh, he's a he does a good job on this episode of, of uh, BTAS. 
it's a shame that they never made a um, crime doctor action figure. Uh, it, it's not not surprising because visually he's very dull. He's only in the one episode. He's not even really a proper villain. But nevertheless, like the Batman animated series action figures were so beautiful, and they got really deep into the Batman bench. I would have loved for them to have made a crime doctor. At the very least, you could have had it in your office, and. Oh, I definitely would. You know, I'll say going back to that um, animated series episode, you know, um, you've seen pictures of my office door. Every Monday I tape something ridiculous on my door, including that <laughs> Alex Toth um, manifesto that uh, you shared with oh, me. Oh, from the Super Friends, yeah. That's right. And so I took the title card from that paging the crime doctor, and one week I taped that up <laughs> on my door. And people are like, what is this all about? And I, I'm always about to sort of saying, like, look, there's a whole world out there that I know that you don't know and i'm just trying to expose you people so so i definitely had that on my door <laughs> have, have you had any takers have any of these people that you've have been been like what's this and actually been interested in it or you just kind of get weird looks you know never enough to say like that looks so interesting show me or give me the comic that it came from <laughs> uh but a lot of times they'll come up and they'll go oh i like this one or oh this one is interesting um okay. uh, but never more than that unfortunately Okay. All right. Well, you know, hope springs eternal. Maybe someday somebody will be interested. And then one final thing I wanted to mention on the Crime Doctor. Apparently, uh, in one of the Batman video games, I've never played any of the Batman video games, so I don't know. But there's one of the video games, I guess, you run into a character in Arkham Asylum, and he has a badge that says uh, Thorn on it. And he's huh. supposed to be the Crime Doctor. For, again, for how obscure he is, uh, he's he kind of keeps popping up here and there. So I guess it's only a matter of time until he shows up in the current rebirth iteration of, of Batman or I would love to see him in, uh, I guess we're not going to ever see him in any of this, like the Ben Affleck version of Batman, but he could have fit in the, the Chris Nolan movies very easily. I mean, we could have had him as a back background character. Cause again, he's more of like a human scale type Batman villain. Yeah. You know, again, I think that you can totally have him being there as like, he's the physician that the mobsters go to. Right. I mean, so he's very, um, uh, you know, adaptable in that way that you could just say that he's a doctor that, you know, somehow works for them uh, uh, to sort of patch them up uh, as opposed to being this sort of like criminal type of guy um i would love to see him i'm telling you that you know so much of um of this story really sort of struck true enough to me and things that he said that i that um i really found him more fascinating than i thought i would is he violating uh, by being a, a daredevil like is he violating the hippocratic oath in any real way uh i don't think so in terms of you know i mean when you look at uh, the prescriptions that he writes for crimes, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> it just sounds like, funny when you say, yeah, it. right. You know, so in the early ones, he like literally writes a prescription, like you should go through this tunnel right, and not use the main road or something like that. In these ones, he's like, I have an anesthetic gas that I'm going to use. It's going to knock them out. It's not going to kill them so that you can sort of do what you need to do. So I don't, you know, he, um, you know, the first thing of the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. And you could say, of course, if you had an allergic reaction to this gas that you expose them to, you're in theory exposing them to something that could harm them potentially that you didn't need to do. But, you know, I think that that's kind of like really being a little bit microscopic in it. Um, the fact that he is so intense that, you know, he is trying to escape from Silversmith. Somebody collapses in the airport and he's like, I have to provide medical care for them, even though I know that this could mean that Silversmith's thugs recognize me. Um, but I can't 
not do this um, really shows that he puts like the medicine side of things first and the crime side of things second, even to the point that, you know, it ends up killing him in the in the long run. He gets fingered by them at the airport because he did that. So um, so I'm kind of fascinated by him. That's a great detail. I should have mentioned that in the write up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, I think this is a neat a neat concept. Uh, I like that Michael Fleischer uh, dug it out. I mean, I wonder like when Fleischer like he said he was a guest writer. I would love to know the origins of this. You know what I mean? Like, did he did he read these old comics and he was like, oh, this would be fun to bring back? Or did he get the gig and he you know went into the DC vaults and found this story or whatever? Like, this is all pre-internet, so it's like it was easy to find this stuff. So I would love to know like how this came about. And he said. I really enjoyed all these stories. And so who's who did kind of like it did its job. It introduced a a, a character that I was completely unfamiliar with. And I I liked what I saw. And I'm really glad I went back and read all these comics because I enjoyed every one of them. I enjoyed the Golden Age version. I really liked the 70s version. I liked the Norm Brayfogle one. I read that one when it came out at the time. And then I've gone and found these newer ones. I want to read these too. And I really liked the episode of BTAS with him. So this was... Like, who's who is like doing exactly what DC wanted it to do is like introduce you to a character from its past that you might not have heard of. So uh, I feel like maybe we're not going to do this in every episode, but I would, I would render the verdict for this particular episode of who's that like a success. Cause like that, this listing was led me to discovering a really cool character. Yeah. And it led me to rediscovering him because outside of that one panel, I didn't kind of remember a lot of the details of the story, but reading him now, I swear Fleischer must have had somebody in medicine who he knew and could sort of chat up to sort of get some of the verbiage that he had in this that really made it ring true. Very cool. Very cool. So, well, anyway, that is going to do it for this first episode of Who's That? Shag and I don't have any particular plan of how often we're going to do these, but we do have some other characters that uh, we want to get to to do some spotlights on that we discovered via Who's Who. So. We'll be doing these just sort of uh, when the mood strikes. I hope everybody uh, liked this one. Uh, Ange, thank you so much for coming on. Always enjoy talking to you. Where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, I'm most active on Twitter at uh, Dr. Ange 70 I do run a Supergirl blog called Comic Box Commentary. And, of course, when you do the next episode of this uh, talking about the gang, I will be there. <laughs> That's <laughs> very exciting second episode to talk about the gang slash the council, whatever we're going to do. Yes, of course, uh, you can find this and all the shows that we do on the network on our website, which is finewaterpodcast.com. This episode will be accompanied with a gallery post. Uh, please check it out because it is going to have images from every iteration of the crime doctor and even some stills from the episode. So if you want to get a chance of seeing all the different versions of the crime doctor through the years, check out the gallery post because it's all going to be there. Uh, and of course you can visit us on Twitter, which at, uh, at FW podcast. So thanks everybody for listening. Please let us know what you think of who's that as a show. Let us know if there's other characters you want us to cover and what do you think of this general concept and everything else. So again, thanks everybody for listening and uh, we will see you later. Bye. I got it.
You think you iced the Batman, huh? <laughs> Not on your best day, Jake. I'd cover my back if I were you. You mean there's actually somebody you don't think you can push around? To what do I owe this unexpected pleasure, Rupert? I brought you some more equipment. The latest in medical technology. After all, nothing's too good for my brother, the crime doctor. 